Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Getting It Out podcast. That was the other side of anger from Crypta. They're a death metal quartet based out of Brazil. That's off of their new album, Shades of Sorrow, which is out now on Napalm Records. That's a little bit of a slower track on this album. Most of it's like thrashy death metal, which I know you could say that's exactly what that was too. But trust me, that's one of the slower ones on there. And I thought it appropriate to show that side of the band. You can really hear the outstanding drumming on that one, which I think is a cool thing to uh, showcase every now and then. Uh, it was the third single from the record. So, you know, they wanted to put a lasting impression before you heard the full thing of Shades of Sorrow, but you can go do that right now. Check it out everywhere. Metal music is available. You know where to find it. Napalm Records is big worldwide, so you can get it everywhere. Again, that's Crypta from Brazil, the other side of anger from Shades of Sorrow available now. On this episode of the podcast, we're staying in the Southern Hemisphere, but we're going over to Australia. We're talking to Andy Marsh, the guitarist from Australian metal band, Thy Art is Murder. But first, we're going over to New Jersey and we're getting in the hot zone. Kick it! I've proclaimed summer to be over for quite a few weeks now, maybe months, but now I think my false alarm is as true as ever. I'm ready to fire off another one. Summer is over. It's August 21st. What does that mean? Why is summer over? Well, a lot of kids are going back to school. One of mine goes back this week, this Wednesday. The other one uh, goes back in September, but that's close enough. One out of two ain't bad, right? And uh, that means uh, that means summer is officially over. I noticed a lot of leaves were on my lawn as I returned, returned from a vacation yesterday, the second week long vacation to the Outer Banks in North Carolina this summer. Not the way I would have planned it, but it is the way it was planned. So I spent an additional week down there, this time in Duck, North Carolina, and I realized there were quite a few other hardcore dudes there at the same time. Why? I just know that there were, all right? A little weird for everybody to be there at the same time. I didn't see anybody, didn't make any plans. Almost hung out with one of my friends who uh, has a family and uh, we already know we all get along. That would have been cool. Couldn't make it work though. Didn't realize it until uh, several days were gone out of the vacation. We were only left with a short period of time. Anyway, the beach is a wild place. The ocean is insane. And sometimes it gets a little unruly. And by the last day, I wasn't going near it. So I came back to my house here in Pennsylvania to get away from the ruthless nature of uh, nature. When I arrived and I was picking up sticks in my yard so I could prepare to mow it, I came across a little snaky poo. Now, I don't say snaky poo like it's innocent. It is a real deal snake. And uh, thankfully, it is deceased and dead as a doornail. The problem is now there's a snake in my yard and it's going to be there until something eats it. I mowed around that fucker and I don't plan to touch it. I hate snakes. They scare me. And now we are, um, I am considering 
the need to move. Is that realistic? No, probably not. But, you know, it could be if I were petty enough. And boy, am I close. So that's the second time this summer that I've returned home to a dead animal on our property. I don't know what that says. Last time it was a dead mouse in the kitchen, which had been ruthlessly murdered, I hope, by the cats that live here. Uh, So thanks to the cats for doing that. I don't know if they had anything to do with the snake. I doubt it because they can't go outside. So uh, chances are extremely slim. But I'm willing to give them some credit if they can show the work, you know. These cats, man. I've complained about these cats here a lot, but I got to give them credit for taking care of business, murdering other animals that enter our house, and being easy to leave behind. It's so easy to leave behind a cat. You just leave. And you say, hey, somebody, can you come in and look every now and then? Look at it. Just make sure it's still there. And then you go, yep, it's still there. And then they leave and you come back and the cat's like not excited to see you or anything. It's just like, well, you're home now. And I'm like, yeah, I'm home now. Move out of the way. And then you can finally open the doors to all the rooms that they weren't allowed in because they eat plants and throw up all over the place because they're morons. Because they are also stupid animals, just like every other animal on Earth. So. Don't be a stupid animal today. Don't die in my yard. Don't throw up in my house. Those are the rules for not being a stupid animal. If you can avoid doing those two things, dying in my yard, dying on our property, or throwing up in our house. Also, don't make a poop in our shed. There's also animals doing that. Groundhogs, I think. They crap outside of it. It looks like little raspberries. It looks like big raspberries. But there's something else crapping inside the shed. I just wish a branch would fall on this shed. That's all I want to happen. Just something fall on this thing. Collapse it. That'd be nice. That'd be great. Actually, I would like something big to fall on this shed. Uh, A cow, like from Twister. If a cow could get caught up in the tornado, like in Twister, you all know the iconic scene, and it falls on our shed, that would be tremendous. Uh, Why? Don't worry about it, man. That's between me and the insurance company. Anyway, I got to get back to work today. Not looking forward to it, but I do intend to employ my new little friend, my little assistant that I like to call Magic Mind to get me through the day. You might have heard me talk about it before. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. It doesn't matter. It's a little shot I'm going to take with my second cup of coffee on the first right now. So you're not going to be able to hear me slurp it. But if you could, you would hear the delight in my voice because I actually do slurp it. I don't take it as a shot, even though it's delivered that way. I slurp it because it actually tastes good. And what it does for me is even better. It's filled with uh, all sorts of all natural ingredients, including matcha. Do you know what that is? It's nature's extended release caffeine. It gets to you. It takes its time and then it gets to work. There's ashwagandha. That's going to reduce my stress as I walk back into the office for the first time in seven days. There's going to be all sorts of things in this little delicious green shot. It's sweet, it's strong, its effects are lasting, and I have noticed them, been taking it for a month, and it's my favorite thing to keep me going, get me going on days like today where I need that extra pep in my step or whatever you want to call it, a little pick-me-up, a little assistant, I like to call it, my little assistant. I put it in my pocket, I carry it around with me all day, that's not true. I just like taking this shot here in the morning with my morning coffee. You can find out all about what I am talking about. You can go to magicmind.com GIO and use my code GIO20 
And if you do the subscription, you'll get up to 56% off for the next 10 days. If you don't do the subscription, you can just do 20% off of uh, one-time purchases. So you can't say it's not worth it. I highly suggest it. If you're looking for a way to enhance your productivity, your mindfulness, your clarity, Magic Mind is the way to go. Again, go to magicmind.com slash G-I-O. Use promo code G-I-O 20 at checkout. That's good for 56% off your subscriptions or 20% off any regular purchases. All right, let's get down to business about what's happening on this podcast. As I mentioned on the intro, I've got an interview with Die Art is Murder guitarist Andy Marsh. We're going to talk all about their new album, Godlike, and their new record label, Human Warfare Records, and the reasons they play the sounds that they do and all sorts of other things that I always talk about in these interviews. But you know the drill. First, you're going to need to hear a track from the band. This one is off of got like it's the first single it's called curious or something like that here it is check it out
start this with, uh, I, I need to offer a, an apology to you and to, to thy art is murder because uh-huh. I think it was probably several years into your band's existence that I just totally ignored it and lumped it in with what I just assumed it was based on it being called deathcore. And especially from someone like me who came from like the hardcore scene, you know, we're real stuck up and like, it was like, Oh, is that a deathcore band? I'm not even going to fucking check it out. So eventually I did. And I realized there's a lot more to it. So, so sorry for that. That's okay. I mean, I come from a hardcore background too, and our producer, Will Putney also. So I, I don't know. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Like we're bringing that sensibility or like songwriting approach or message-based approach to metal music. It just so <laughs> happens that we like playing breakdowns too. So that's how it goes. <laughs> All right. Well, t- tell me about that. Has that, has being labeled and again, I know it's not, that's not all there is to the sound at all. Has being labeled a deathcore band from early on, have you experienced similar things, similar sentiments from other people in the past where since, because you were labeled this, that you weren't taken seriously? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Um, you know, I, I think it comes and goes in different waves and in positive and negative frames, like oftentimes, uh, 10, 15 years ago, the industry, music industry probably thought deathcore was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Then it kind of went away in favor of traditional metal, metalcore, hardcore. Um, and now, you know, Lorna Shaw has obviously repopularized the the genre title. Yeah. We don't really think about that kind of stuff. Like we just make music, we try and make it heavy and we make what we like. And it's a, it is a shame that people would pigeonhole themselves in such a matter. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good point though. And I think you're right though. I do. I don't think anybody's paying as much attention to genres across the board right now. Uh, I was actually just having this, this similar conversation with, uh, with, uh, Hoya, the bass player from Madball, about the way hardcore is kind of like expanded into all these, whatever it's, it's, you know, it's always yeah. been you know, the ethos, like not hard, the sound, blah, blah, blah. Hardcore adjacent. You look at the popularity of bands like Turnstile now and you go, well, is it still a hardcore band? Like that's where it comes from. Right. Um, but it's, Standard, you know, the, the fan base and, and everything. I think that's it's generally a net positive for, for music because it might get people that often think that maybe hardcore is too aggressive for them or too crazy, uh, get them going to shows and then they might start going to, to small event shows in their area. Yeah. 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 I'd, I'd, I'd agree with all that. You mentioned that you kind of came from the hardcore side of things. Tell me about that because I'm interested because of you being from Australia, I, w- I want to know what that was, what that scene was, who the bands were. Was it no apologies miles away? What was it? Parkway drive. What w- where were you coming from? Yeah. I mean, so my first exposure to live music was in Brisbane. It's uh, I moved to Australia at the end of the nineties when I was about 12 hmm. and started going to shows like later in high school when I was 16 or 17, the first bands I saw were the Amity Affliction, who's much hmm. more of a hardcore metalcore band at the time. And Parkway Drive, like local shows, 200 kids, all ages. It was pretty skitzy, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then obviously we'd have Miles Away, Break Even. Uh, what was Bane's band? Um, remembering, not, not remembering, never. Uh, <laughs> the one from Melbourne, cra- crazy aggressive, super aggro hardcore band. Um, obviously we got Mind Snare in Australia too, like cult yeah. hardcore bands around. So it was, 
that was what we we had back then. You know, we didn't have a lot of metal bands. I think also because the way the internet had opened up exposure for kids our age to find music around the world, where previously Australia was pretty closed off. You know, we didn't have small hardcore metal tours coming here because it, it made no dollars and cents. So we had no access to that. But with the internet in the late 90s, early 2000s, we started finding all this music that we liked. Um, for me, like through mp3.com, like you'd sit there for yeah. two hours and wait to hear like some new hardcore band. You're like, oh, this, this is shit. Like next. Then you sit there for another couple of hours. Uh and do you happen to remember hardcore mp3.com? I do not know. No, it was just, it was, it was just, it was like the exact same site. It was, except it was hxc mp3.com, but it was just all hardcore metal bands. Oh, sick. Well, <laughs> you missed it. It's I gone mean, now, of course. <laughs> by its nature, hardcore and punk was when you got a guitar, that was what you could play. So I mm. think that has a lot to do with how that scene exploded domestically, like here at least. Um, and yeah, then I played in a hardcore band called Abraxas. Uh, it's kind of like Ringworm or Integrity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty. I feel like uh, Abraxas sounds familiar, but I can't put my finger on it. I mean, I was in a band that was on A three eight nine Records, which had a lot of stuff. I think Mind Snare put out a split with um, with Ringworm on A three eight nine Records. So like, like so that type of that style of hardcore, yeah, super yeah, familiar yeah, like, with. Yeah, if you want to call it Holy Terror, hardcore was kind of exactly. The yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. All right. So I, I get, I get where you're coming from then. Um, and, uh, you, I, I don't think you're from what I've looked into, you're not an original, original member of the art is murder, but you've been around since the first album, right? Uh, since the technically, yeah, since the first record, this is my 14th year now. I think that qualifies for, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you get all the status yeah. you wanted from that. There was an EP just before that. And then, uh, and then I came around. Well, this one, uh, the, the, the album you're getting ready to put out, I guess it's a, it's a little over a month from now. Godlike, that's your sixth LP. I'm assuming, well, I mean, I know I'm not assuming, I know that there's a big difference between that first record and this one. To you, what's the big obvious change? Uh, there's a few changes, you know, like I came into the mix during the touring cycle for that first record, The Adversary. And I knew that the guys were talented. They kind of, I was about, I don't know, I'm about three or four years older than the rest of the guys, except for CJ. And they kind of wanted me to join the band. I was like, yeah, yeah, I could do this, like the whole metal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would want to focus it more like aggressive. The first record was more like kind of like this really fast technical deathcore. And I thought, CJ, he came, he comes from a hardcore background too. I was like, let's move the vocals into like more coherent mid range. I think there's more aggression to be had there than the gurgly death metal stuff. And, you know, try and focus on writing songs that have a, a pop structure, if you will, or like a more, I don't know, something that's delivering the vocal as opposed to the vocal being just another instrument. And thankfully, the guys are pretty receptive to that. And we've just been trying to, polished that over the last 14 years now. <laughs> well, I'd say from, from my, uh, from my opinion, from listening to all the records, especially recently, I'd say you've, you've got, you've done your best work so far here with God. Like, um, interestingly though, you've had, uh, Will Putney along for, you mentioned his name already, but you've had him along for most of the ride as well. Uh, I know he's on 
was it, is, is the record just called hate in 2012? Is it, is it hate? Yeah. He's been around since then, right? That's when you guys started working with him. Yeah, correct. Um, we inadvertently, him and I had worked on some records together, uh, like a rain Supreme record and then a Amity affliction record. And mm-hmm. so some friends had been like, Oh, you should go with this will guy. He's like the American version of you. You know, you guys are pretty similar, hardcore band, metal band, make records. We think you'd get along. So I hit him up and uh, he's like, yeah, heck yeah, come to New Jersey. Let's do the record. And I've been hanging out with him ever since. (laughs) So have you guys done it, always done it that way where you go to New Jersey? Does he ever come to you? No, no, no. We we go there. We don't we don't like the creature comfort of being at home. Like we want to feel like we're right. Mission, you know. Well, nothing's more uncomfortable than New Jersey, so I understand that. Um, yeah, I got a jersey. <laughs> I like I've been hanging out in Belleville for twelve years now. Like it's my second home. <laughs> well, what? Tell me about that the, that relationship you guys have with Will because he's just you know well-known at this point and like highly sought after maybe not so much as when you started with him, but certainly now everybody knows his name, knows the studio, knows his work. Uh, do you feel like you kind of got in on the ground floor there? <laughs> oh yeah. hundred percent. Like we hit it off, off the rip. Like we all got along the whole band and him. Um, and you know, uh, over the years, he's just kind of become this other band member. Like we can, even if we're not making a record, we can send him riffs and stuff like, in the meantime, be like, hey, we're working on some weird shit. What do you reckon? He's like, yeah, that's shit or that's good. Like, keep going. You know, we just trust his judgment and, 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 uh, you know, he, he understands where we come from and where we're trying to go to, mm-hmm. which I think is important to have that longer format relationship as opposed yeah. to some bands will just make one record with a producer. It's like, and if it doesn't hit, maybe they go, oh, that guy sucks. We're going somewhere else. It's like, well, you kind of do need to develop this relationship. He's he's basically a, uh, you know, part of the band at this point, the same way that our live crew is like they understand the mission and sometimes it takes a little bit longer to get where you're going than, than you know, one record. Yeah, it is. That's interesting. And maybe you have a better perspective on that because like you say, you've sat in the other chair, right? Or you sat in the chair, you've done the, the producer work, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's got to give you like a, you know, an extra, a a little bit better of an insight on how those relationships need to be built. And like, there has to become that trust between the two. And it is, it does seem obvious when there's a band who's consistently working with the same person that the, that they all kind of evolve together and the vision becomes a little more clear on record. Yeah. I mean, for sure. We also have chemistry. Like if we didn't, then maybe. maybe, That'd be weird. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you, 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 you have an interesting quote that I read on this, where you said that this record got like is starting to sound closer to what you are imagining in your head. So I'm paraphrasing, of course, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, the simplest way that I've explained it before is, um, (laughs) it's a bit of a, a different one. If you and I sat down to paint the same thing, like a landscape or a model or something, we have differing levels of art ability. Mine are fucking trash. No, so am I. Highly likely to be better than mine. But we're attempting to recreate what we see as good as best as we can. And then you look at the oh oh God, that looks nothing like it. Right. We imagine how these songs should feel, you know, 
and then you go in to write them, but you might not have the guitar playing chops or the songwriting ability to to know how to create the flow that ultimately will land on the feeling that you imagined beforehand. You always have these feelings like I want it to hit like this, like it has to have this depth or this sonic like characteristic or this layer of aggression, but you might not get there. You might listen to it in the end and go, oh, it sounds pretty good, but it's not like how I really imagined. Because right. you can't imagine a song. If you could, then you'd just write like a record a day. You'd just have this <laughs> never-ending dream of creativity. But as the records have gone on, like I shift the goalpost record to record and the how I feel that it should sound changes, but each time we get a little bit closer to how I think that it should be. I think that's just a reflection of our personal growth growth as musicians and and hopefully as as songwriters and also like the uh compatibility and um teamwork you know mm-hmm. the that too the same way that a sports team plays better the longer they play together sure Sure. That, yeah, that's that's. I was talking to somebody else recently about that. The whole moving the goalposts thing, though, is like you kind of don't want to catch. You kind of don't want to catch what you're going for because then you get kind of stagnant. It needs to always be moving. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It's about the journey, not the destination, and <laughs> and the process for us is what's important. This idea of trying to reach that thing, even though it changes every record, like that's what's important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that changed on this record for sure is that uh, you went from working with uh, Nuclear Blast as your record label to now this is your own thing, Human Warfare, right? Is that like the band's record label? Is it your record label? How's this working? Uh, It's my record label. Um, But I mean, for all intents and purposes, it might as well be the band's because I do all the work and they get all the benefit. But we knew like this was like sort of... uh, something that we wanted to aspire to, to have that financial independence, that scheduling independence and freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, So starting with Dear Desolation, we began self-releasing our records in Australia and New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Test the waters, learn how the whole back end of that side of the business works. And uh, ultimately we got to here now where we're a free agent and decided to release the records for ourselves. That's interesting. That's cool. I didn't know you did that that, uh, that test run on your own with the other ones. That's that's cool. I know a lot of bands are doing that now. And are you able to? Well, I know. I guess it changes on certain contract situations. But I guess eventually you could go back and reissue the stuff that you did before. I'm no, I'm not, not not trying to drag the conversation down that road. But that's something you could do. Correct. And and this is part of the part of the decision making process. Mm-hmm. Sometimes make a record for a label uh, as a work for hire, which means that they pay you a lump sum and you make the record and they own it. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a different strategy where we basically licensed the records to the label for a fixed period of time, 10 years. Right. So that 10 years, the the intellectual property reverts to us. And this, this formed part of the strategy in terms of like, we're an independent band, we're a metal band, we don't make billions of dollars. We don't have a retirement fund, so our intellectual property is our sort of retirement fund or as we start to scale back the touring, say, in 10 or 15 years. So thinking forward with respect to that, it was important that we made the switch to becoming independent now. So at the end of the 2020s, our catalogue reverts to us and then uh, we have some sort of uh, residual income that, that should sustain us ideally like through our 50s. 
That's interesting. And also because, because it's licensed. So you don't, as, as I understand it, so then you don't have to re-record it. You don't have to go in. You don't have to, I mean, you could, if you wanted, but I know in some situations you just have to go re-record the fucking thing and then make it your own. We don't have to do that. So yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. It seems like a smart move. Um, tell me about then. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> tell me about then what maybe has changed or maybe you've changed about the way you're. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're rolling out this record. Did you did you change anything from the way, like, say, Nuclear Blast was doing it that uh, I wanted singles to come out at this? You know, you know what I'm trying to say, like the whole rollout of a record. No, we just have uh, more flexibility. Uh, a lot of people mm-hmm. have asked me, how does it feel to have this creative freedom now? It's like, we always had that. Nuclear Blast is a, a metal label. They don't come to the studio and tell us what to write or what to sound like. But in terms of scheduling, as we get older, I've got kids, CJ's got kids. Uh, things will come up where it's like, oh, okay, well, we don't want to be on the road at this point in time because we've got a five-year birthday party or, or something. Sure. Having synergy between the recorded music uh, scheduling and the touring scheduling, I think is more important than ever because touring is where we make the bulk of our money mm-hmm. and the music needs to support those touring efforts. We just had this pandemic where I played video games for two years and everyone else did whatever the hell they wanted for two years. The record label probably would have been saying, let's get a record going. Here's a chunk of money. Make the album. As soon as this is over, record comes out. It's like... We didn't really want to do that. I mean, it plays into our touring strategy as well. We knew that everyone would be racing to tour last year and this year. Yeah. Why would we want to compete with this flood of music that's going to come out? It it, it made no sense to us. Sometimes doing less is more important than doing more. So we took that approach and we knew that, that the touring would be delayed somewhat by 18 months in comparison to our peers so why put out a record 18 months before all the touring? So we had this flexibility to make the album on our time and then have it ready to go in time to promote the round of touring that we booked because, you know, sometimes it takes 18 to 24 months to start booking tours of this size and getting the venues held and, and putting the lineups together. It just didn't make sense to me to have this record come out and then touring be an afterthought. Um, I understand that records have their axe to grind and, you know, they've got money tied up. So they need a, here's the slot. We don't have any records coming out that week. That's where you go. And it, it, nothing to do with the other aspects of the business. 
Now we have total control over that. It means we can make all the different business units, whether it's merchandise, touring, or the recorded music, work together as opposed to being this separate thing that you have to try and connect after the fact. Mm-hmm. That's very cool and interesting too. Is this the way you anticipated all of this going when you yep. guys started Die Artist Murder? Like, did you think did you think you will make this band into a professional thing and was that the goal from the beginning or was it just kind of build the goalpost move like we talk about? For sure, this was sort of the plan because it, it did require that a decade long worth of forethought and, and building this sort of strategy together. Whether or not the outcome would be desirable is another thing. I have no control <laughs> over it. But I can control how we organize and put things together. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, in the plan the whole time. That's interesting. It's very cool, uh, to, especially to have that foresight and the knowledge of how to get it done too, uh, which I'd imagine had to had to learn it along the way. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I'd imagine you had to learn, you know pick that up as as you were going, and that's but that's very cool. And it seems like a lot more bands are are doing this. Uh, not a lot, not a lot of bands, but a lot more bands are taking this route. Yeah, I, I think it's a good approach. You know, particularly for. For our point of view, where you know, as the band has grown, we get access to to financial capital that we didn't have when we were starting out. It doesn't make any sense to pay a royalty rate to a label to write a check to you for a amount of money that you could go out and do a tour and make that money that quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's just a you know a lot of short term sacrifices for long time gain. Tell me a little bit about the the music for Godlike the inspiration for God. Like, I don't know. I I always like to ask if there's a concept or a theme to the record. I know it's kind of a boring thing, but I always got to check, you know, we didn't start off with any concepts. We've never had any concepts. Uh, we just set out to write music and the lyrics come after the fact, but you know, every record we kind of just try to incorporate one or two broad strokes, bigger picture ideas and say, let's just try and, incorporate this or focus on this. Um, we think that that might be a good move mm-hmm. to make an adjustment. You know, we, we only ever make very small adjustments, maybe because we're pretty uh, cautious or conservative about about moving the, the goalposts. But I think if you go back to the record, hey, until now, you can see that adjustment over time. We get criticised for it a lot by fans because they go, every record sounds the same. We go, if you put the first one on and this one on, Right. They sound totally. You can draw that line through the records, but we knew we wanted to incorporate a little bit more groove and a little bit more of this anthemic chorus style. Um, one of the questions that became part of the brief of the record was, "Can you imagine playing this on a big festival stage in front of thirty thousand people?" Mm-hmm. And that is just a question. It's not a oh, it has to sound like this. It's like, no, no, no. It can sound like whatever it sounds like. But when we get to the riff or the song or the the section, can you imagine that? Yes or no? And that's definitely changed like the approach on some some levels. I think it, it helped add to the size of the music because automatically you're imagining like, can it be presented in a, in a large format? And if it can, then it gets through the gate. And if it can't, then we go, oh, this is death call from 15 years ago, the halftime shot. <laughs> moshing and you just go, it's really cool and heavy and we like it, but 
how does that present on a, on a live arena? It's maybe a little bit boring, maybe for a small club. But we've got those songs that we can play in the small clubs. So that sort of question was in the back of my mind throughout the recording process and writing process. And then lyrically, we never have a concept. We just come up with ideas and then try and match them to the tone of the song. Is it evil? Is it depressive? Is it aggressive? Is it triumphant? Um, and then we have a, a list of topics and we try and match them to the theme of the music. I like when people like yourself explain and talk about these things for music like this. Um, because I know, I mean, you and I both know there's more thought into heavy music than what is generally out there, especially music that's related to death metal. Most people just think, Oh, it's gore or, you know, stupid fucking lyrics about you know, chopping someone's head off, whatever. And sure, there's plenty of that, but there's also a lot more uh, thought and to hear you articulate it is, is nice. And I think it's good to hear. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I want to ask you about the artwork. I'm looking at it over here. The cover for Godlike, because I, I, th- I feel like I've noticed something that I think you guys do is different artistically on the album covers is that it's kind of just one big thing mm-hmm. where a lot of other bands are here's fucking 3000 details and it's crazy and it's awesome but it's like but you kind of get lost in looking at all that where you guys kind of have a thing whether it was the tank treads whether it's the you know the 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 whatever the lamb or whatever the fuck i'm trying to go off a of memory but you know like the tell me about that is that a is that a, a intentional visual thing to have one big thing on the cover art? We just don't like to be very literal and and come up with some sort of succinct metaphor mm-hmm. for the record through the through the imagery. Holy War was probably the most overt one. We had that child suicide bomber on the, the cover. Um yeah, I don't know. We just like something that is has like an element of, I suppose, to to us at least, some Element of time stamping the record, but with also like making it, I don't know, some kind of iconic imagery. And I think the more you clutter up a visual space, the less easy to identify like a subject. So having things be striking is very like important to us. You know, even as far as the record titles go, I, I find I name them deliberately to be. It's not up to me whether they're iconic or not, but that they're very memorable. They're easy to say. Um, Isolation has this alliteration to it with the double Ds. Human targets, very easy. Godlike is rolls off the tongue. So having, having those things is pretty important because making them easy to remember. I mean, if it was disfiguring the abandoned orphan or something, it's like too many words, too many syllables too difficult to remember um and and that plays into the artwork too if there's too much stuff going on like how do you describe it like yeah yeah no i i I agree with you i like the thought press on thought process on it to have it just be something well like god like like hate like holy war like you know just succinct it's kind of says a lot saying more with less uh more memorable like you mentioned too I also think, and maybe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that when you have a logo like you guys do, that is recognizable, instantly recognizable. I think I was more familiar with your logo 
before I got familiar with your music. You know what I mean? I know uh, the Art is Murder logo because of that pentagram, the way it's, you know, it's the, the what's that word I'm looking for, where everything's alike on both sides, the symmetry of it. If you continue to use that for cover art, that's going to take up a lot of space. Iconic's probably too big of a word, but it's like it recognizable. It's like, this is a Thy Art is Murder. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm yeah. saying. It's our, it's our brand, Mark. Um, yeah, that's it. That's the word I'm looking for. Had to also make a couple of others over the years so that there's a non-pentagram version for kids whose parents won't buy the T-shirt for them or for those who are fans, but they're slightly religious and they don't want to kind of have a pentagram on their T-shirt. I get it. I get it. I was just at a Pantera concert over the weekend and uh, I don't buy certain shirts because of certain things anymore. You know what I mean? I just want the fucking low. I just want a shirt that says Pantera. Not, I don't know, you know, not a whole bunch of other bullshit on it. Not, not like, you know, middle fingers and whatever. Maybe that's just cause I'm getting old. Yeah. No, I, I know the feeling. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, the record comes out officially September 15th. You guys are releasing on your own on human warfare records. It's called Godlike. And then I got to imagine at some point you're doing some other stuff to support it. What is ahead for the band this year? Uh, this year, we've just got a tour in Europe starts in about six to in about seven weeks. Thy Art, Whitechapel, Fit for an Autopsy and Spite. Pretty excited about that. That'll be the first godlike um, territory tour. And then starting to work on Australia and uh, the US. And then we got festivals. And, we're, I mean, we've actually got quite a few penciled-in tours until start of 2026. Holy so, shit. <laughs> well planned out and, uh, you know, but... We'd like to bring this headline tour to all the territories. Hopefully in the next mm, nine to 12 months, we should knock it all over. Hmm. Nice. Well, it sounds like you got it all figured out. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I like to think that I do, but sometimes <laughs> never ending surprises in this business. Well, I mean, what could happen? Like the world could shut down. Like, you know, what's. Yeah. The world I like that. DJ could hurt himself again. Like, nice. Well, I like that our that our bar for you know disaster has been raised to like such a ridiculous level now. Like, yeah, the whole thing could get canceled for years. You could. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. <laughs> Forget that day. We it was the first day we we're in Philly, the first day of mm-hmm. our quest tour for Human Target, and it started happening. And everyone looked at me and goes, "So what do we do now?" And I was like. This has never happened before. I'm not sure what to do. And they go, well, what are we going to do? I'm like, oh, give me an hour. I'll make some phone calls and figure this out. <laughs> so we flew all the way to America and then we flew all the way home the next day. Mm. That's got to be terrible. From Philly too. So you're about as far away as you can get, right? Yeah, yeah. We, dro- we drove down from Newark the day of the show and we drove straight back to, to Jersey that night after the Philly show and then we evacuated. Fuck. Yeah. Well, and now we coming back though. Know how to plan for everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope I hope this time you're able to do all of those things. I mean, you've been over here somewhat recently, though, right? I feel like I feel like I saw you were playing at Reading near here within the last yes. year. Yeah. We played Reverb about four or five months ago. I left yeah. a long sleep in the green room, and the venue told me that it wasn't there. So. Um, 
Yeah, we, we've done two tours since we all got back. We got back last spring. We did a co-headline tour with After the Burial called Back from the Gulag, um, which is a Call of Duty video game thing. Yeah. People thought it was some weird Russian thing. I'm like, dude, it's a video game. Um, <laughs> and we went back uh, early this year with Kubla Khan, Justice for the Damned, Undeath, and sorry to the, oh, and I am. From Texas, yeah, and like our decade of hate run around the states for a month. So we've got two under the under the belt, and we're working on another one now for this record. But it has been good to get back, you know. Like for us, if you don't count that one day, it was you know three something years between tours in the states. So very nice to get back over there. I live in the states part time as well, so yeah, for me to be away for so long was pretty pretty tricky but yeah it's been good shows have been great but bigger than ever <laughs> actually yeah. i think people needed that outlet after being locked inside for two years i think we needed the break for <laughs> no musician likes hearing this no musician likes to hear it but i think we needed the break from we needed to have it taken away from us yeah, for sure. I mean, you won't find us complaining. Uh, we were one of the few bands that were like, yes, this is amazing. No touring, no record, sit at home for two years, like do nothing. It was a, it was a breath of fresh air. And I think ultimately that is what helped us, at least to us, make the new record feel and sound so fresh. That's awesome. I, I always joke, but I'm being serious that I'm the pandemic's biggest fan. Cause I sat right here for two years and you know, so yeah, that, <laughs> if I'm being honest, 12 hours a day, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, last, last question for you. And it's a simple one. Oh, what are you most looking forward to with the release of Godlike? Um, the same as every record to be kind of boring. We make these things. It's kind of like, going and picking up a gift for your wife or your husband or your kids and it's not their birthday for a couple of weeks and you're like, oh, shit, they're going to be so happy with this. I've spent so much time selecting or building the best thing that I think that I can give them. Uh, much the same way when we're putting a record together, we're sitting there getting stoked going, this is fucking awesome. Can't wait to share it with people. For us now, I mean, we finished the majority of the writing almost 12 months, maybe about 10 months ago. So it's a long time to be sitting on things going like, I hope they like it. Like, can't wait to show this to everyone. So really looking forward to the wide reception and, and hopefully people enjoying it. And then after that, it's like not up to me. It's up to the fans. Does this take us to another, another high point of our career? And if so, like, I can't wait to, to get cracking on that.
So there you have it. That was my conversation with Andy Marsh of Thy Art is Murder. The song you just heard was Join Me in Armageddon. That's off of their new album, Godlike, out September 15th on Human Warfare Records, available everywhere when the time comes. September 15th is coming quick. Man, September means fall. I'm not going to do any more uh, season panic on here, but I am going to thank Andy for his time, for his conversation. I also want to encourage you to check out the latest single they just released called Blood Throne. It's got a music video out there. It's worth your time as well as the rest of the record. So please go check that out once it is all available September 15th on Human Warfare Records. That's going to be it for this episode. I have kept up a little bit with the updates for the website while on vacation. Not everything's there, but a lot of it is. And uh, there's still something for you to read every day of the week, as I always try to do with gettingitout.net. The social media has been slow. How about that? I'll give you that one. Not much happening on there, and that's okay. I like it that way, actually. Uh, before I get out of here, I'm going to play you a song from another band. You know the drill by now. This band is called The Hirsch Effect. They are a German prog metal trio. They've got a new single out called Otis, and that's what you're going to hear. It's off of their new album, Urion, which drops September 29th on Long Branch Records. This is merely a taste of that. Again, The Hirsch Effect, Otis. Check it out. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.
softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.